Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. I'm Kikita Kaori. And we are back after a nice long Christmas break, so thank you for sticking around with us despite our uh, time off to enjoy the holidays. Yep, it's very important to rest and recharge. <laughs> so I was thinking of doing food in Rokugan. That topic came up a little bit in the discussion and is always amusing. And, but we do have a little news first. Yeah. We have a holiday gift from Edge Studio. We have new maps for the Scorpion Lands and the Unicorn Lands which is obviously relating to the next couple of RPG releases, which will be whatever the Scorpion book is and whatever the Unicorn book is. And they are, like so many of the maps for this edition of Legend of Five Rings, they're absolutely lovely. So I suggest you go get them. Yes, they have lots of areas on them. And unlike, unlike some of the maps, they do not have any locations really that aren't in those specific lands they're just homed in really well beautiful artwork also there is a new daidoji shin novel coming out um it's due out um in june i believe 2022 called the flower path and the little blurb on this this one is how the three flower troops new lead actress is found dead backstage, and everyone in the venue is a potential suspect. Uh, Shin has only until the curtain falls to find the killer. So, nice, classic, golden age mystery in L5R. Yep, we, we are going to be looking at food this week, because it's an interesting part of the setting, and it can often be used as a plot point. And it can it can be used to emphasize themes, and it has a lot of uses in a role-playing game or in stories. When your economy is based on your staple grain, and <laughs> you don't have, you know, video games and TV to uh, fill your evenings, a lot of um, negotiations, a lot of uh, shared context, a lot of actual intriguing goes on over meals so we thought we'd try and talk a little bit about what kinds of foods there are some interesting notes about like when eating happens and and the eating and drinking culture in uh feudal japan that is our kind of prototype for for rokugan in general then maybe give you some adventure hooks so but uh, the the first part when you're talking about um, food, uh, you always had always come back to rice. Uh, we've talked about rice farming before. We've talked about the actual uh, agriculture of rice in our in our villages episodes. Um, however, uh, in terms of eating rice, basically the wealthier or the higher status that you are. Uh, the greater percentage of rice in your diet as opposed to lesser grains or, you know, just vegetables and stuff. You've got, you've got more rice. And also the more polished the rice is, that means the more, you know, the less uh, husk it is, the less brown it is, 
just just in general, you know, how how processed the rice is. And this can actually cause problems because your body needs the nutrients of the husks and stuff. And so you can get malnutrition from not eating brown enough rice. So the wealthiest people could have malnutrition. Yeah, um, beriberi, I believe, is the name of the condition. It's a vitamin B deficiency. And it's, I can't remember if it was Edo disease or Kyoto disease. It was, it was one of those two precisely because the very, very rich. And as, as the economy grew towards the end of this, of the Edo period, more and more people were having, they wanted the fancy rice because now we're rich. We should have the fancy rice. And yeah, it, uh, loads and loads of people were not eating any brown rice or weren't getting any of the, and, and the rest of their diet wasn't varied enough. So they, yeah, the, it was really common. It was a big thing. Yeah, it wiped out uh, the Japanese Navy for a while because uh, you would get paid in rice. People would eat rice and they wouldn't eat other stuff because you had to pay for that with your own money. And yeah, he wants to do that. And and so you would live off rice. You could have as much rice as you ate. That was in, as you wanted. That was the recruiting. Um, that was the recruiting for the Japanese Navy. Uh, but any other vegetables or fruit you needed to uh, buy on your own and People died a lot on Japanese naval ships. <laughs> anyway, it's it's interesting. It is, it is, it is, yeah. Um, the other other grains, there were the things like wheat. There was buckwheat, or also known as soba, and millet. And literally, other than wheat, I literally only know that those are other grains that some people use, which is a terrible thing to say. And much... Um, they can be turned into noodles, and that's pretty common. They were steamed buns, pancakes, flatbreads, that sort of thing. So they could be consumed in a, in a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about where in Rokugan those things might be more prevalent later this episode. Um, now, meats, proteins, and fats are a significant part of any healthy diet. In L5R, they talk about how you don't eat meat, just eat seafood. Seafood and river fish are an important part of diet. In Japan, poultry was also completely available and did not have problems. And in fifth edition, they kind of go back on the whole, you know, you can only eat seafood. So yes, you know, poultry is fine. Meat and eggs. In Japan, pork was commonly considered a white meat like poultry rather than a red meat. So it could be eaten, but it kind of runs into the, the cleanliness taboos for pork because, well, you know, pigs <laughs> are not very, very clean. Um, and that would definitely be a more peasant kind of thing to even. It, it, it's also one of those things that really, really depends. I mean, historically it varied, it varied by how, very Buddhist particular families were and the local culture and there were like subtery laws which are like if you're of this status you can only eat this food and there were laws which were like you shouldn't be spending money on fancy clothes and fancy food and which some people went oh well obviously then we won't do that and other people went well ha, we're going to do it anyway because ha. so there's all sorts of complicated things going on so it is going to vary a great deal 
Right. Now, seafood in general is available inland, okay? It's not, you know, we have this idea that all, well, obviously, you know, it has to have access to the sea in order to get seafood. The seafood that is going to be available far from the sea is not the same. Uh, Salt fish, dried fish, uh, you hear talking about bonito is, is dried fish flakes, which definitely could be transported anywhere. So carp farming from fish ponds was uh, actually uh, uh, a common thing um, that happened. Now, carp's not everybody's favorite fish, but it was a a fish. Uh, and even though in the you know imperial palace you might get those beautiful ornamental koi, uh, in other places you might get a big carp that you then eat. Live fish can be carried. Live live shellfish and crabs and eels be packed in a tub and and taken inland. It's you know it's just fine. You know, you you t- it's much safer to transport your uh, you know shellfish alive than it is to, to, to transport it not alive. Interesting fun fact that sushi, which is very famous as a Japanese dish, actually started as a way of transporting fish because um the the pickle the the kind of vinegar rice was used as a packing material and a a um, preservative for the fish and at some point some people started eating it and then it became a thing on its own so that's another way that that seafood can get into the inland diet and obviously you also get river fishing you also get lake fishing so fish are available all over. Exactly. Uh, red meat is very rare to be eaten. In L5R, there's a whole joke about how in Dragonlands, it's not really a joke, uh, they have their mountain tuna, which is goat, um, because that's something that you can raise in those mountain pastures. I rather suspect that the samurai aren't eating an awful lot of that, both because... Yeah, um, both because they're they're at the tippy top of the pyramid. Well, I suppose on the tippy t- the tippiest top would be the the imperials, I guess. But in the dragonlands, they're the pr- pretty tippy top. But also, they they are of the clans one of the more likely to be devout in terms of their diet, just because of who they are. But yes, it's it's, it's much more likely to be the the commoners, and specifically the rural farmers. Right. Now, it is worth noting that eating red meat changes your body odor. You know, if you do, especially if you do it regularly, you're going to smell different in your body odor compared to people who don't ever eat red meat. Okay? Which means that if you're sneaking steaks on the side and you walk into a court, everyone's going to (laughs) know... You're the person with the bad body odor. Or or at least it's a thing you're going to have to take into account. Yeah, why why do, why do you smell like a unicorn? Right. And that's exactly that. So so you know, there's a lot of you know people talk about or or we 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 kind of have this uh barbarian unicorn things. Well, the unicorn eat red meat. Uh some of the response that the rest of Rokugan may be having to the unicorn is they're coming into the court and they smell bad to people who don't read. I believe it's the same with milk, actually. I think milk as well. 
if I'm, but I, I don't know how much. I know that they drink fermented milk, which is I come Iraq. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Um, yeah. And, but the thing is, things about that, the lactose intolerance is uh, an intolerance to lactose, which is a sugar, and sugar is exactly what you turn into alcohol with your milk based booze. And so I don't know how much raw milk they drink, because that would be a slightly different bad smell. Right. So in Japan, raw milk, you know, milk was available, but it was considered only a thing that baby cows drank. <laughs> Not people drank until well into the uh, Portuguese um, contact, uh, and and it was then considered a very rare and weird ingredient. Um, so, so you know, we have nobody's outside fermented mare's milk. Uh, the idea of milking your ox that you use to pull your wagon rather than letting your ox feed the baby ox that you got probably has not really occurred in uh in rokugan yet yeah so there won't be won't be your cheeses and such yeah yeah at least you know in in how i perceive it and they haven't described it there let's see but but more ways to get protein obviously always good um so the primary ways of getting protein outside of meat are beans um soybeans are used to create tofu, uh, and tofu can have, you know, basically fill in in terms of cooking many of the uh, recipes that um, we use milk for. Uh, tofu works as a fine ingredient, so if you want to make something, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is also often kind. It's not not quite a meat substitute in that it's trying to pretend to be meat. But it's it's kind of where you'd put meat in the in the recipe or in the um in the meal. Mm -hmm. Tofu can end up ends up in that role, if you see what I mean. And it has many many kinds of textures, so it can be from quite quite runny to you know really dense. Um, tofu is preserved. They actually have a uh, tofu, a kind of tofu uh, called hairy tofu, where it's like just like covered with mold, basically hairy mold, but it makes the 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 tofu taste good to them. So I mean, it just fills that niche. I have to say, I'm immediately going ooh, and then I'm thinking, but blue cheese, we do that. We we have we cannot point fingers. <laughs> no, no, we can't. And uh, it's actually I've had it before. It's it's very flavorful. It's 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 not it's not bad. It's just uh, it's 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 stronger tasting than regular tofu. But considering regular tofu does not have a lot of flavor, that's you know expected. There's also natto, which is very fermented. Very fermented tofu. And I've I've heard terrifying things of it, but I don't know that much about it myself. Um, in addition to tofu of various kinds, uh, there's adzuki beans, uh, which are pretty sweet. Are those are those the red beans? Because the red bean paste. They're the little red ones. Yeah, I guess it's used for sweetening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when we use red bean paste in a Western re in a modern recipe, they 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 sweeten it with additional sweetener. 
it, the the amount of sugar that you're getting in general is, but it's considered pretty sweet and and fills that role. Uh, it can't be savory, but you would you could put it in. I've been I I had a very nice uh, cup of uh, red bean jello last night for for my treat. So for research uh, purposes. For research purposes, <laughs> obviously. Um, so you know the, they use it in a lot of different things in Japan still to today, um, and and it's pretty good. Uh, there's also mung beans, which are not sweet, but they're used in a lot of different uh, recipes. Um, another place, you know, there are normal nuts of different kinds, uh, a very common ingredient in uh, Japanese cooking, at least traditional, is chestnuts. So, and chestnuts are pounded and turned into chestnut paste and then put into all kinds of treats or regular meals. So that's, that's kind of, it's not quite like peanut butter, but, you know, it's used in a paste form. You also had lots of fruits and vegetables. So seaweed, which I think in the West we don't tend to think of as a food source, but, you know, it's, honestly, it's right there and it's green. It's a plant. Uh, if you've ever if you've ever had any sushi, then the it is very wrap, often wrapped in nori, which is a type of seaweed. But seaweed, squash, cucumber, cabbage, kale, which I think is another seaweed, yam, burdock. No, it's not. Kale's, a bit, kale's like a lettuce, except oh, okay. I did it's, not know it's that. like a cabbage. It's a okay. very common uh, food here in the United States. Ah. So tastes good. It's like spinach, but tougher. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Spinach that fights back. <laughs> it's bad enough as it is. Uh, <laughs> radishes are very common. Uh, it's a very. It's one of the more common kind of samurai foods. Just you just get this enormous radish called a daikon, and they're kind of just munching on it as they're wandering along. Uh, yeah, people would make the. They would have home gardens, so you'd have your in the farm in the farming areas. You'd have your big rice plots, but at home you'd have uh, a garden which would actually supply vegetables i don't know if samurai gardens did that if they would have an area um i've seen one movie which is specifically about a poor samurai who did do that but that may be literally he's a poor samurai so that's why he's doing that so maybe your your sparrow would have their home vegetable gardens in my rokugan most samurai do have an area of their gardens that is is for vegetables because you have to eat. <laughs> well, well, sure, but but you might be getting it off the local farmers who are selling you their, their excess. But it all depends. Yeah. Or maybe they come in and farm your garden. Yeah, possibly. Well, you certainly, certainly, most I very much doubt in the samurai we're doing it. That would be doing it themselves because that's that's desperately close to doing something practical or working for a living, and we can't have that. We have standards. And obviously there are also fruits, plum, apricots, pears, cherries, and apples are very common. And they could be used in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. And these can be also, all of these can be preserved. And pickles are huge, like huge, you know, thing in, in samurai cuisine. You, it's really, if, if you look at the menu of a Japanese restaurant that specializes in samurai cuisine, there's a couple in, in, uh, Kyoto and and other places that are quite famous, and if you look at it, it's like seventy five percent pickles. Yeah, pickled 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 things, pickled everything. Because you could take it on the road with you, you can march with it, and 
that's samurai traditionally are warriors they are soldiers they are going to be not not at home but but also all of these things are very seasonal so you have to preserve them otherwise you get to eat them one month a year and that's it and that's a bit of a problem so all yeah having a way of of spreading everything out throughout the year was very very important now um for seasonings you know salt of course herbs uh vinegar uh fish broth fish flakes or you know fish sauces um fermented tofu sauces or netto um additionally uh, foods could be sweetened um with honey or uh, amazura, which is a uh, basically sugar substitute that was used that came from wild grapes. So that's all the individual ingredients. <laughs> when So we're going to look at the kind of the meals that people would have. Now, we have a lot of information because people wrote stuff down, and they generally only wrote stuff down if they're aristocrats. And so they'd write stuff down about their own food. So... We know a lot about specifically Heian, Japan. They liked writing everything down, yeah. <laughs> a lot of them were really bored. So it's like, <laughs> I'm going to write down everything I do because I am so bored. <laughs> so the general pattern was like two meals a day, 10 a.m.-ish, 4 p.m.-ish. Uh, they could also have snacks in between, but that was the, those were the, the main meals that they had. And probably... The, the commoners and the, the farmers and such would eat similarly, a similar kind of rhythm. Because they would have a meal before they go out in the fields and when they come home from the fields. That, that I mean, that just makes sense. You might take some snacks, you know, a rice bowl or whatever, and eat it while you're out there. But the fields are not always, like, immediately adjacent to your house. So that's that's one thing we think, you know, I'll go out in the meal and come home, you know, do things around town and go out. No, you know, you might have to walk a mile or two to get to a field that you're working on or further. So you don't want to come walking back in the middle of the day or to do stuff in town. Um, breakfast was often uh, okayu. The very first meal of the day was often okayu, uh, which is rice porridge. Um a lot of people know this more familiarly as konki, which is its name in China. Um, but but you know, just just rice porridge, some little something like that. Yeah, for the farmers, it's more likely to be grains other than rice porridge. Well, but yes, <laughs> same idea, essentially. Um, when you're getting into an evening meal, that's more a like like breakfast is like fuel for the day it's a utilitarian thing whereas your evening meal is more about actually enjoying your food so generally the general pattern is you have individual servings and individual bowls you tended not to have a big table around which everyone sat everyone would have their own individual tray or their own individual bowls with servings kind of cut generally to bite-sized because they didn't tend to use they didn't use a knife and fork they used chopsticks so sometimes you might get like shared like bowls you know people surround those and pick what they want but generally it's 
each individual has their own individual tray or table, and they eat from there. Uh, and until hot pots became a thing, um, where you would kind of cook your own little piece of meat or whatever in the in the in the shared bowl, um, it was it, it tended to be like the, these individual trays. Now this is different than China. So in Japan, these these trays with all little separate bowls of each food. That's very, very Japanese. Uh, and the Japanese chopsticks are actually shorter because you don't have to reach very far because all your food is on your plate, uh, is on your tray for you. In China, all the food is shared. Uh, you know, it's put in the middle of the table and you'll have your own little rice bowl that you would use to catch the food. You grab a piece of food and you put it on your rice bowl and then you'd, you'd eat it. So Chinese chopsticks are really long. So that you could reach the food in the in the middle of the table. Um, peasants in general are more likely to be sharing a bowl. They're not going to necessarily have somebody to cut up their food and and like take the time to make them an individual tray or something. It may literally be down to needing less in the way of cutlery and crockery. Right, right. <laughs> may literally be that simple. Um, although you do get the very common thing of everyone sat around the fire. In the peasant hearth, yeah. So a traditional dinner meal, a fancy, a fancy meal, uh, or you know, a proper, a proper one, uh, was originally called a kaseki, um, which is miso soup, bowl of soup, and three side dishes, which is also called um, uh, a seto. Well, yeah, I think that's a modern. Yeah. That's that's the term they use, but that's probably more useful, right? But kaiseki is kind of the it evolved from this setup of you know a miso soup and three side dishes, which is a normal meal, to um, basically mean a feast. Uh, a kaiseki is like the way feasting is done, uh, and so it it kind of developed from that traditional dinner to a feast. And essentially, as my understanding is, the, the bowl of rice is not kind of counted in this. Because why would you not have that? You don't need to mention it. You would it. obviously have of, that. Of course it's there. It's like mentioning the dinner roll. Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's, you just, it's just the foundation. And so, of course, it's there. I mean, you know, like literally the, the word for meal and the word for rice were pretty similar for those reasons. So... So speaking of feasts, so if you're going for the full feast, now now we're talking like someone's trying to show off. You've got a bunch of people and you're, you're entertaining and, and all that kind of stuff. So a full feast would expand this idea of, of miso soup plus three side dishes to many more dishes, maybe up to 15 or something like that. You'd have dishes of sushi or sashimi, grilled dishes, chill dishes, different types of soup, and all that sort of stuff. Like a lot of things, these would be themed around the season, or they could be themed for a moon viewing or some other courtly events. So there were often set meals for specific times of the year and specific events, especially in the high courts. Mm-hmm. Now, during the meal, you would be expected to you know, praise the cooking, praise praise the 
observe and note in the uh, best way that you can uh, the effort that has been made. Uh, always praise the chef. But in addition, you, you should be able to be smart enough to know that, ah, oh, these these three dishes were themed around, you know, the coming snowfall or whatever it is. You should be able to get the language of food, just like all the other secret languages um, <laughs> that are de rigueur in court. Um, and then all the feasts will end with copious amounts of sake. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, uh, drinking at meals. Um, in the ancient world, uh, at least in ancient East Asia, Japan was known for having like the hard drinking culture. There's commentary from a uh, third century Chinese diplomat just like ragging on how much the Japanese would drink, which is pretty funny. Uh, yeah. And and like a lot of things, there was very specific culture and etiquette about alcohol and who was pouring for whom Mm-hmm. in what order and and it was all you know it was very important to to keep up with that sort of thing right um you know public drunkenness singing and dancing and so um were part of traditional uh japanese culture um and and frankly alcohol is part of the wedding ceremony in japan and and funerals so uh, you know, you exchange sips of sake. This is not something that occurs in in necessarily other East Asian countries. This is very much part of of Japanese culture. Was was you know alcohol as part of important occasions. Yep, still is. In fact, it very much still is. The 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 drinking parties after work were <laughs> a very important part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that actually a lot of a, a lot of Asian people. I mean, it's not universal, but it's fairly common that the there's there's a difficulty with um, absorbing alcohol and and kind of uh, I don't know if digesting it is quite the right term, but processing it. Right, there is a critical enzyme that is necessary to break down alcohol. Okay, uh, in the liver. And many people uh, of East Asian descent, genetic descent, lack a certain gene um, that creates this enzyme. And therefore, they don't, um, they aren't able to break down um, alcohol the way people who do have that enzyme can. Uh, This causes them to, you know, those who lack this enzyme, when they drink, you know, more than a little alcohol, they turn very bright red. Uh, and um, basically they they earn, they get all the effects of a really bad hang- hangover um, very quickly after drinking. Um, uh, this, this flush turning this bright red color is called makakanaru. Um, so because of that, Alcoholism is pretty low problem, actually, even despite this culture of of drinking. 
uh, because you don't want to do it if it's making you that sick right away. (laughs) It's not something that it's got a, a little bit of a disincentive there to, you know, drink when you don't have to necessarily. Uh, so, um, you know, it's not been mentioned in Rokugan. Uh, you can, but you, you certainly have an excuse to, to have that genetic condition if you wish for your character, certainly. Yeah. Um, sake cups were pretty small. They were often, they looked like dishes. They looked like saucers, very, like small saucers, very, very shallow. It was the most common, although there are different styles. There's little wooden ones, like little wooden cube ones that are pretty cool. Masu. Yeah. But the, like the, the, I, think the, I think the most common ones you see are like the little dishes. So they didn't hold that much in each, like each, each dish, each glassful or glasses container. <laughs> so you'd have a little bit. You drink from a small cup and ideally someone else pours for you and you pour for them. Right. It's, it's considered bad etiquette uh to to pour your own um rokugan is varied enough that that could change but uh if you're if you're in cra- in crane lands you're probably not going to pour for yourself if uh you're on good behavior <laughs> interestingly the one time that i see in samurai dramas cuz i'm not a historian i just watch too many samurai things the most time i see people like sat round a table the way we in the West are used to is at inns and sake houses. And uh, I will include in the show notes, for those of you who get the show notes, I've got an image of some folks just having a drink. And, yeah, they've, they've got a table and they're sat at it. I think they, they don't tend to have chairs so much because it, it's still a lot of kind of floor culture, but... It's that's the one time I see folks sat around a table is in inns and uh, sake houses and a few other places like that, which is that's so. So if, if there are people are out and about, that's where you might see that kind of stuff. But at home, sat on the floor, own individual tray and small amounts of sake. So uh, we want to talk briefly about, uh, you know, what things might vary between the clans. There are notes in the RPG about uh, food stuff. So this is mostly from, from that. Um, the crab are known for their hearty fare. They eat fried foods and sturdy noodles. They have a really long growing season so that they can have fresh vegetables longer than further north clans. They talk about uh, tempura uh, as a as a crab style cooking technique where you you know take something and fry it. That came to Japan from Portuguese cooking, but in L five R we can incorporate it all. Well, maybe they nicked it from the the brief period because the the white stag incident. There was a very brief kind of oh look here are these foreigners they seem cool. How can we pack? How can we pack more calories into this radish? <laughs> Here we go. The crab being all practical went, yeah, let's do that. And it's entirely possible that they were sufficiently far south that when the actual white stag incident happened, because I rather suspect everywhere in Crane Lands and Imperial Lands went, right, everything they did is completely unfashionable now because they, they, they were mean and we don't like them anymore. So they're, they're off, off the fashion list. And the crab were like, what? Did something happen? 
fried stuff tastes good. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Apparently something happened up in the capital. Um, yeah, yeah. Could you fry that one again, please? Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> in uh, Crane Lands, the, uh, the freshness is going to be paramount because, well, if you've got access to all the freshest stuff, you know, go for it. Um, they are always looking for balance of flavors that would bring out the natural freshness of food. Um, thin noodles, fish and rice, um, fresh vegetables. Um, the crane would believe that too many spices, too many seasonings actually will cover up the actual freshness of the food. So their goal is to just just enhance it a little bit. So so this is the, if you're slathering soy sauce and wasabi and ginger on your sushi, you're doing it wrong. You know, a tiny dot maybe, or let the chef do it for you. It's, you know, not, don't mess with perfection. Yeah. I think, I think the crane would be really into the matching what you're eating to the season and to the occasion and all that. I think that would really, really be very hardcore into that oh absolutely the dragon are famous for their pickled vegetables because they have a short growing season very short because they are way up north and way up mountains and they don't have much arable land so whatever they grow they are going to have to preserve for quite a while so a lot of pickling the the mountain tuna is well known, although, as we discussed, I suspect less so for the samurai. The higher up you go, I suspect the less you're going to be seeing that, both because that feels a bit peasanty from them, and also they tend to be, it's going to be a tie between them and the phoenix, I think, between how devoteness, devoutness would be the right way of pronouncing that, um, and how devout they are. So that's, they're going to tend, they're going to be more likely than a lot of clans to go full vegetarian both both for money reasons both for like like where are you going to get this from anyway because of their lack of arable land and also because of just philosophy but they're very famous for the pickled vegetables the lion clan meanwhile they are pretty much they're very landlocked it's it, they they have a lot of land but not very much in the way of sea access so they have lots of noodles. They do lots of poultry and tofu rather than fish and rice. They also, I think it's been stated that their lands isn't the best for rice growing because of the, the particular climate. So they do more in the way of wheat and such than other clans do, and certainly in proportion. So although you know, I suspect their main crop is still rice by numbers, but most people say, well, that's a lot of wheat you're growing here. So a lot of noodles, poultry, tofu, and less fish, less rice. And there'll be less seafood, more river fish and lake fish. But I suspect the rich people will still be having lots of seafood because it's from far away and thus better. <laughs> now, Phoenix have lots of access to seafood as well. Um, they tend to uh, have foods that are roasted, um, so they will wrap uh vegetables or, or meats in leaves and then roast roast them as a as a cooking method. Um so you know that that's that's primarily it. They they get a lot they have the access to the fresh fresh ingredients though. So um scorpion uh have the 
a similar landlocked kind of problem to the lion. Uh, so they tend to eat, you know, noodles, poultry, and tofu more than fish and rice. However, with their focus on court, they would be more likely to take measures to make sure that they had access to all of the uh, fashionable, you know, ingredients that you know, are expected of of a proper courtly courtly clan, which means bringing in fish. Um, they prefer lots of spices in their foods because if you're bringing in these foods from far away because you're trying to be a proper courtly person, um, it's not going to be as fresh anymore. Um, and so adding spices covers up any lack of freshness. <laughs> and also it can disguise the odd poison that you slip in there, you know, too. But they, they like lots of spices in their food. But it's not really, in, in my mind, it's not really about them trying to poison their guests. That that leaves your dinner uh, invitee list rather short. Um, but more about, I can say that we have these marvelous spices in our lands and sneer everyone who doesn't know, you know, spice their food like we do. Um, but really it's about covering up the fact that it took three weeks for this fish to get here. So, you know. Rounding off with the unicorn, they eat more red meat than anybody else in the empire, uh, including beef and pork, and indeed horse, served with flatbreads or boiled, and they tend to have lots of spicy sauces. I think I, I remember we were having discussion, this, uh, I can't remember, with whom or where, because you've got the scorpion and the unicorn and the mantis, who are all famous for their spicy food. <laughs> They're all fighting over peppers. Yeah, but I think it was. it's also the kind of, I suspect the scorpion are more the flavorful sort of spice. Um, and I can't remember whether it was a discussion. I think it was whether, because one of the, like the mantis would be exotic and I think the unicorn would be, I, I like the idea of the unicorn being rather more likely to just go for the raw power. You know, who's, which, which one of them is going to go for the face melting kind of thing. And I kind of feel that that would be the unicorn. <laughs> Fair enough. Something to have a, have a macho contest about. But, but also another thing is just that compared to Rokugani cooking, and this does vary because the unicorn themselves do vary from very, very rigid Rokugani, which with the utaku, all the way to extremely ujik, which is the, the moto. But they just have slightly different sensibilities for what makes a good meal. Just, just not, not better, not worse, just different. And that's a thing that, that I, you could emphasize if your characters are mostly not unicorn and they're going to unicorn lands. And there are just slight differences in you would not normally flavor a fish that way. It doesn't taste awful. It's just you wouldn't have made that choice. And it works. But it's very distinctly unicorn. Now, we have a couple of adventure hooks for meals and food and feasting that you can use. So hopefully this can give you a few ideas. Um, just you know, as a starting one. Let's say a lord that you serve or are supposed to help makes a care, made a careless boast that they would serve a rare dish at their next feast. 
And now the time for that feast has arrived. And if the Lord does not present this dish, uh, there could be serious consequences on, on them. Um, they would lose face in front of the other clans, and that would be not good for you. Uh, so you must somehow help this this Lord uh, procure this dish. But if there are people out there to embarrass them, and he's made this careless boast, there could be people actually trying to stop you from presenting this dish or bringing the ingredients for this dish because they want to embarrass the Lord. And this stuff happens. <laughs> I mean, this, this you know, it, it sounds silly, but when you talk about diplomatic ne negotiations and, you know, just keeping your word, careless promises have big consequences in general. <laughs> Another possibility is you have a poisoner has been captured before anybody has died, but no one knows what dish was poisoned or who it was intended for, or even if they actually successfully managed to pull off the poisoning. But you don't want to just stop the feast because that is going to be very embarrassing for all concerned. So what do you do? You figure out how to taste everybody's dish ahead of time or you know, figure it out? <laughs> there obviously were poison tasters, but they were generally only for the very head honcho. And suddenly having that guy wandering around tasting everybody's food, oh dear, that wouldn't be good at all. So how to deal with it and how to deal with it quietly. Yes, we actually had this one in a come up in a campaign for, that I was playing in. It was very good. Let's see. An important negotiation is about to occur and you're in charge of making sure that the arrangements go off without a hitch. Maybe it was something that you wanted to make sure that this uh, negotiation happened because you're the Emerald Magistrate and it's got to work because that's, that's what you want. However, one of the people, one of the parties for the negotiation is known for their very, very picky appetite, uh, as in that they will walk out if they are displeased with what food is presented or something. So how do you please them? How do you figure out what they'll like so you make sure you prepare it? And, you know, how, how do you keep them happy so that they even get to the part of the negotiation that you, you want them to be involved with? Or maybe they are secretly allergic to something. And so it's not so much that they're picky. They're literally, if, if they eat that food, they're going to come out in funny colors and get, they're going to have to get off to their room real quick. And that's going to destroy the negotiations. And that's a thing you have to discover. But they want to keep that secret because that's a weakness that they have to keep hidden. And But you've got to find it. So not not to hurt them, but to do the exact opposite of hurting them. But you can't let them know because they won't and so on. <laughs> these, little, these little things are, are good for your PCs to have to deal with. Um, let's see. The food for a section of the wall. You are... You are on the wall, and the food for a section of the wall has just been getting worse and worse. And if anyone knows, soldiers, if the food is bad, the complaining begins. Morale and the food go together. Uh, and the crab soldiers on this section of the wall are reaching the breaking point. They are about ready to overthrow their captains and just 
cause a huge mess because they can't take this this bad food anymore. So what is happening? You, you have to figure out what's going on. Why are these crap the breaking point? Is the food being contaminated somehow by the Shadowlands or just you know food poisoning or something like that? Is there a disgruntled chef? Um, or have have the uh, you know supply runs uh, just failed to give them anything other than natto for the last three months? So, you know, we don't know. <laughs> and they need something else to change it up. <laughs> or, or are the troops just really, really bored? And they just, we don't like this food anymore, so we've had it 13 times. Change it. But you're just bored, aren't you? So... There's a couple of adventure hooks for for meals. If you uh, if you think of any any more ideas related to meals or food, please you know share them. Let us know um, because that would be fun for all of our listeners. Right. So that's us for this week. We would like to give a shout out to our sister podcast and our patrons. So we have a, an affiliated actual play podcast, Fortune and Strife which you can find in all your favorite podcast places. And we encourage you to go and have a listen to them. And we should also give a shout out to our friends at D20 Radio, who have all sorts of role-playing game content in all sorts of podcast forms. So if there's anything you're interested in, go check out D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, where you can store and see longer-term information, summaries, uh, podcast, RPG tools, and more. Uh, for our Patreons, we have early previews of our AP con- podcasts, notes, and, and other things as we think of them. Online, you can find us at our website at courtgamespod.com, on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that is it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korvar, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy.